0: I can't even explain like how I look at life past football. Like, I know that once football's over, I'm gonna thrive because I've already got the building blocks to be able to have a healthy, successful life once I'm done. I think most of my colleagues get stuck in this whole deal of like, they're doing all these things that are good for just football, but once football's taken off the table, those things aren't really gonna help you as much in the future. And, and I know that me getting serious about yoga, yoga movements, breathing, meditation, those are things that are going to be able to help me move forward.
1: Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to the GLOW Podcast. In this episode, GLOW teacher Katie Bakke is your guest host for a conversation with Jordan Matthews. Jordan has played pro football for the Eagles, Patriots, Buffalo Bills, and most recently the 49ers. Jordan was experiencing injuries as he played, so he decided he needed to switch positions, and yoga was an essential part of his journey in making that switch. Katie worked with him weekly on stretching, mobility, mindfulness, and breath work. In this interview, Katie and Jordan point out that playing football involves much more than physicality for an athlete. Also important is cultivating a mindset conducive to success. This is where yoga came in for Jordan. It changed his attitude toward the game and helped speed up his recovery time. I hope you enjoy listening to Katie guest host Jordan Matthews in this episode of The Glow Podcast.
2: Hello, and welcome back to the GLOW podcast. My name is Katie. I'm a teacher for GLOW, and I am so excited to have NFL player Jordan Matthews joining me today in conversation. I've had the honor of working with Jordan and teaching him yoga, and I have so much respect for the discipline behind his physical practice. But very similar to the practice of yoga, there is much more than just physicality of an athlete. And what I really admire is Jordan's mindset, values, attitudes, and beliefs. So here we are, ready to talk about all of the above. I wanna welcome Jordan Matthews. Thank you so much for being here, Jordan. Katie,
0: thanks for having me. Um, I'm super excited to get this conversation. Um, I know that. Um, I've worked with a lot of people in my time from my career, whether it's just my recovery, strength, conditioning, whatever, but it's so cool. I can't wait to get into the fact that you actually were a part of my journey when I switched positions late in my career. I was a wide receiver for my whole life, and then I'm like, okay, I've got to gain 20 pounds, change positions, but I didn't want to lose flexibility, mobility, speed, and you helped me with that, so I cannot wait to get into that.
2: Oh my gosh. I can't wait either. We're definitely going to touch on that. What I thought could be kind of fun Mm -hmm. for everybody to get to know you just a little bit more is just to throw in a couple icebreaker questions because who doesn't love a good icebreaker? Mm -hmm. So the question, (laughs) what is your astrological sign?
0: (laughs) Astrological signs, that zodiac? So it's cancer, right? Yeah. It's cancer. 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 So I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but everybody says it it means I'm super emotional. So, um, that's, that's (laughs) not, it's not a great start to this podcast for me. (laughs) Give me another one.
2: Okay. 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 I love cancers. I've I'm cancer rising a cancer moon, cancer, Venus. I mean, I, I have so much cancer in my There you Um, or not cancer moon. I'm cancer rising Venus and Mars. I'm Libra moon. Yeah. Um, so I love, I love cancers. Um, okay. Do you see, and this kind of goes back into those cancer Mm -hmm. traits. Do you see yourself more as an introvert or an extrovert?
0: I'm 100% extrovert. And I know people do not like to admit that anymore. People are like, Oh, I'm an extrovert with people I know. But if not, I'm an introvert. I'm like, then you're an introvert. <laughs> what you are. It's like, I'm, like, I will talk to anybody. And when I was a kid, Katie, I kid you not, I don't know why this thought came into my head. But I was like, I'm going to leave this earth one day. And the only thing I'll be able to take with me is relationships. So I want to connect with as many people as possible. It got me in trouble when I was in school a ton because I just wanted to talk all day. Um, but I'm hundred percent extrovert. Um, I do have times where I need to recharge, but I will say that I actually get energy from being around people and talking and communicating and hearing stories. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably one of those few people that will actually admit that.
2: That's very, very cool. I'm, I'm definitely more introverted. Um, but I, I have extroverted qualities. I guess I'm a little bit of both. Yeah. I'm a little bit. Yeah, of yeah.
0: Both. go ahead. You're, you're an yeah, right, extrovert way. undercover. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm going to throw in one more. This is pretty serious. It's a pretty serious question. Um, if mm-hmm. aliens landed on earth tomorrow okay. and offered to take you home with them, would you go?
0: Would I go? <laughs> um, no, I've got, they have to bring my whole family with me now. Like I can't, I'm not, I'm not going at this alone. So I, I couldn't go. Um, I appreciate the offer. Um, but, you know, what's funny, um, I was listening to, ironically enough, a podcast the other day, and they're now talking about Elon Musk and everybody, they're taking people to the moon. And um, this one guy on the podcast was like, yeah, I want to, I really want to go to the moon. I don't want to, I don't want to die on this planet. And they were like, what, what a rich thing to say. Like, you don't want to die on this planet. Like, we're just not good enough to leave the earth with. So, no, y- y'all are my people. I'm not deserting you guys. I'm going, I came in on this earth, I'm going out on this earth. So the aliens got to take somebody else.
2: (laughs) Well, now that everybody knows that you are an extroverted cancer that would not go to the moon or not go with aliens, (laughs) they're the only people I won't connect with. We will start. (laughs) (laughs) We will start to kind of get into the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you talked a little bit before about your transition between positions, but if you could just give some of the listeners a little bit of background mm-hmm. on yourself, um, I think that would be great for them also just to, to get to know you a little bit more too. Yeah,
0: super quick. You know, um, I was, um, a coming out of high school, a two-star recruit. I had, when I tell you, I had no offers anywhere. Um, I actually got an offer because a kid decommitted and it happened to be to Vanderbilt university in, um, Nashville, Tennessee. I went to Vanderbilt. Had an outstanding career, thanks to a lot of great people around me, great coaches, great players. I got drafted high to the Eagles, and I played seven years in the NFL up to that point, mostly with the Eagles. Very successful. But at the – around my year six and year seven, I started dealing with some injuries, and I saw my playing time decrease. And so what happened was I was actually at the point I just – literally before I met you, um, Katie – Um, It was around like March, April-ish. I I went through spring practice at Vanderbilt. Now, this is my college, so I'm not playing there anymore. I'm actually coaching. Like I went back, talked to the head coach, and he actually was gracious enough to let me um, volunteer coach because I knew I wanted to be in and around football in some capacity once I was finished. Um, I enjoyed everything about spring ball. I still love it. Um, Love the idea of coaching when I'm done, but I still wanted to play, but nobody was calling. I mean, I had no calls at this point, all of 2020, the year before I went through that whole year, all the way to like November before the 49ers called me back to come play. And so I'm at a point now where I'm kind of at a crossroads, Katie. I'm like, this is probably like the end of my career. So I got to start transitioning, but I knew I still had some football left in me. So I'm watching the NFL draft and I started seeing these tight ends get drafted, and they weren't as big as they were back when I first came to the NFL. Tight ends usually average around like 200 and like 50, 60 pounds back when I came in. Now they're like anywhere between 235 to 240, 245. And here I am, I'm at 210. I'm like, you know this might be an opportunity for me to try and like get back into the game and not even just get in, but actually play again at a high level. So oddly enough, I called Kyle Shanahan, who's the head coach of the 49ers. And I said, you know, what do you think about me changing the tight end? And he tells me, you know, and I'd only gotten been with the 49ers the last two years. They were the only team that had called me uh, back to play receiver. So he said, you know, I like the idea, Jordan, but, what happens if you change to tight end and then somebody else wants you for receiver? I said, Kyle, nobody else has wanted me. So <laughs> only, you guys are <laughs> the only team that's called. So the fact that you just said you like that idea <laughs> means I need to do it. So, so uh, I got to work on it and I'm telling you, like I, I called up and you were one of the people I called because I truly believe this. Like whenever I talk to young prospects about coming to the NFL, I always tell them you need to build a team with you and that team with the specific city you're playing in, you need to think of it like a tire. Like the tire has that middle circle in those old schools, right? They have those spokes at the end of every mm-hmm. one of those spokes should be a human being whose sole purpose is to help you become the best football player possible. If they're taking away from that in any way, they don't belong in your, in your sphere of influence, especially during a very crucial time in your life. So, I got to Louisville. I said, okay, I need somewhere to train, so I need a trainer. Luckily, I got in with the University of Louisville. I said I needed a chef and a dietitian because I had to gain 25 pounds in a month. The 49ers told me they wanted me to get to 235 pounds by July 4th, and it was May 30th. So I had the month of June. Yeah. Like, thanks for giving me a 30-day month to get 25 pounds <laughs> in. Um, so I found this dietitian. Um, his name was Pasha and he put me on a plan to eat six times a day, 5,000 calories. I would wake up and eat at 8 30, go train, drink a shake, eat again at 1130, eat again at 230, eat at 530 and another snack at 830. Like I'm stuffing my face, training, trying to gain weight. So I got the dietitian. I always have like my hydration, um, IV people. But then I needed somebody to help me maintain my flexibility, mobility, stability. And that's where you came in, Katie, and you were amazing. And you saw me go through that process of trying to change my body and trying to revitalize my career. And because of that change, I've literally been on the 49ers roster as a tight end the last two seasons. So, yeah.
2: Well, I am. Thank you for sharing. And I'm definitely honored to be one of those spokes on that, that wheel. Um, But yeah, you know, I have, and if you don't mind, actually, just really quickly, kind of giving, again, the listeners just some um, background on like the two positions. So you went from wide receiver to tight end, right? right? So you had to physically kind of change your body, Right. right? Things like that, right? So When we were working together, we did a lot of physical work, right? We did flexibility and mobility. How did that help when you were transitioning into that new position?
0: Yeah. You know, what's crazy is most people would assume that the more, the bigger you get position-wise on a football field, the less you need to be flexible, the less bend you need. Like you can afford to be stiffer because you're not, having to move as fast. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, when I put on all that weight, I knew that I also had to be able to bend to use my core and my lower body well, because I was going to have to block more. And if you know anything about like blocking and positioning, it's all about leverage and it's all about lower body strength. It's all about core strength. You can't like a receiver. I know receivers that are like strong as a twig, but they're just super fast. They have great hands, um, great concentration, uh, when it comes to bringing the ball in, so they play a long time. But if you ever put them in a position where they had to be physical with another man, set after set after set after set, after set that person's body will break down. And I didn't want mine to do that. So like I said, the, let's say the prototypical wide receiver, there's probably two types. There's a one they call like more like a speed guy re, um, wide receiver and like a bigger receiver. Even the biggest receiver is going to probably be at most 220. Once you start getting past 220, coaches start telling you you probably want to lose a little weight because you're probably losing speed. And then you've got smaller receivers that are like your 5'10 guys that range anywhere from 175 to 185. Um, once you go over to tight end, like I said, the 49ers, like, we won't even give you a shot unless you're 235 solid every day. So that's not, okay, 235 when I weigh in, then <laughs> – I go take a piss and now I'm 220. It can't be water away. You have to be <laughs> solid because you got to be able to last. And so it's it's a, a huge part of it is the performance piece. But I knew that I had to incorporate the yoga at high level because the best ability and football is availability. I needed to make sure that my body was bulletproof for everything that was going to come at me during that year. And so um, and I, and I know we're going to get to the mindfulness stuff, too, but that was also a mm-hmm. huge part of that. Um, why I knew I needed to consistently do it because before as a receiver, you know, that 10,000 hours thing, right? It's like playing receiver was like muscle memory Mm -hmm. to me, you know, like waking up, running routes, catching the ball. That was like, you know, it almost got to the point where I took it for granted. I had to become like a white belt again, in the sense where it was like, I'm a beginner again. Now I'm a, I'm pretty much a 29 year old rookie, you know? Um, And so, I was like, well, I really got to like go back inside and and renew my mind for this journey. Because when I get into a camp, the coaches are going to say, hey, Jordan, take a vet day. Like you've been doing this for a long time. I know your body's sore. You don't got to practice today. Or, oh, Jordan, we know you got this because you've been playing a long time. They're looking at me like, hey, we want to see you on this rep. Show us how tough you are you know, okay, we're going to put you in this whole second half, this preseason game. You got, let's see how how you do. So I knew that there was going to be a huge mental hurdle too. Um, So I just wanted to definitely equip myself to be ready for all that.
2: Yeah. And I definitely want to touch on the mindset here in just a second. I have one more question about like, the physical part of all of it. So I worked with you probably weekly. Mm-hmm. And again, we did, it was like a combination of some yin stretches, mm-hmm. um, mobility work, stretching. Um, we also did, you know, mindfulness, breath work, things like that too, which I'll say for the next question. But how did you notice an impact of these kind of, you know, I'll say, I'll call it yoga asana, the yoga posture part. How did you notice an impact of, practicing yoga in your training or in recovery as well?
0: Right. Um, The recovery piece was huge. I would always usually do it on Wednesday. Um, That was a big recovery day for me. So I wanted to get some type of blood flow, some type of movement. Uh, One of my favorite things, one of my trainers taught me one day was, you know, motion is lotion. And a lot of people think that, okay, here's my rest day. Here's the weekend. I can just stop. It couldn't be further from the truth. You always want to continue to move um, just so you can get some type of um, blood flow to some of those areas that are aching and, and that might be sore. Really, Kay, what I what I think it helped me with was I, I, I couldn't, I wasn't no longer at that point in my career where I could like compartmentalize like these different things that I needed to work on. It, it This was probably the beginning process of yoga becoming more of like a holistic lifestyle thing for me. Um, And I think that's super important. I want to say this. I know somebody that's going to hear this is going to say, okay, well, Jordan, your whole job is your body. So you can afford to take time out of the day to make sure your whole day revolves around making sure your body's healthy. You know, there's somebody's like, I got kids, I got groceries, I got a nine to five corporate job. So yoga has to be compartmentalized. But for me, it was one of those things where it was the beginning phases of me starting to incorporate yoga movements, even just in my warm ups for a regular day. You know, um, I'd already started doing a little bit of breathing before, but like we took breathing to another level. And so now it's something where I don't have to wait for a yoga session to get my breathing and my stretching in and my meditation in for the day. I can do my breathing and meditation in the morning, do my stretching two more times that day, and so it's now like more of a lifestyle thing so um and it's it's helped me like tremendously um just i can't I can't even explain like how I look at life past football like I know that once football's over, I'm gonna thrive because I've already got the building blocks to be able to have a healthy, successful life once I'm done. I think most of my colleagues get stuck in this whole deal of like they're doing all these things that are good for just football, but once football is taken off the table, those things aren't really going to help you as much in the future. And and I know that me getting serious about yoga, yoga movements, breathing, meditation, those are things that are gonna be able to help me moving forward.
2: Yeah. And I love I I actually really like how you mentioned that yoga is now a part of your lifestyle right. so it started out as this you know one hour a week of just stretching a little bit of breath work a couple of minutes of meditation and now you said you prioritize you do your breath work and meditation in the morning you continue to stretch and it's kind of now intertwined right. into your life which is really really powerful so how do you because you were talking about and you're you're busy you know you you've got you got kids, you got work, you're, I mean, you've, you got yeah, everything,
0: everything you can think of. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: So how do you find balance? How do you find balance between work and your personal life? Um, and I guess it's a two part question, really. How do the techniques that really yoga and in, in, in it's full practice, yeah. breath, body and mind, how, how does that help you with that balance?
0: No, you have like, I kind of already mentioned it before but like for me like I was talking to a friend about this earlier this week. I have to get up in the morning and do my morning routine in order to handle all the thing that that's going to come with life. Like I've got an amazing family, you know. Um you know my wife actually she just uh, signed with a team in Chicago, but I didn't get to Louisville just because I was moving there. Like it's because she's a, she's a world-class soccer player. And she was, she signed with the racing Louisville team. So that's all I got to Louisville in the first place um, was through her. So I've got a wife who is not her her whole lifestyle isn't catering to me. And that's not what I wanted in a wife anyway. Like I wanted somebody who was going to inspire me and challenge me and um, be somebody that I could draw like a lot of inspiration from and, that's who she's been. So it's not like she's waking up and just cooking three meals a day for me and just being like, Hey, like, what do you need? She's got her own job. You know, she's got her own uh, competition that she has to get ready for. Um, And then I've got three boys and I, I, I love my boys to death. I'm telling you right now, if the, if the first thing I do when I wake up is hear one of them saying, daddy, I'm just like, the day's already gone. The day, like I, I love them. I, okay, I love them to death. But my day is gone now. is theirs. And I know somebody may say, "Well, of course," but you, you can only do that for so long. Like I have to make sure that I get up, get my meditation in, get my breathing in. I got into a little bit of a Wim Hof breathing too. That was something I looked up, so I got into some of that um, recently. Um, I'm very, um, I'm I'm, if somebody asks me like my religious affiliation, I don't like to say religions, but I do, I will tell people to have a, a biblical worldview. I love to study the Bible and I love to read it. And um, there's just something for me about getting up, reading God's word and then going and journaling. Like I try, when I say I try and bulletproof my day, Katie, like I'm literally like, if I read, meditate, breathe and journal, I'm going to be undefeated that day. Like, I tell people problems, that's like water off a duck's back. Like I can get through anything if I make sure I get up and have that more routine. And that's where I feel like the balance comes from. If I allow myself to wake up and get attacked by the day, dude, the, the world does not care about your peace, <laughs> like at all. And, you know, I don't want to condemn the world for that. I want to take responsibility myself and say, well, how can I combat this? Because Look, if, you, if the first thing I'm doing is opening my phone and I'm looking at text messages and replying to emails, like I said, I've given my day to other people. And I love everybody. I'm an extrovert, like I said before, but but <laughs> nobody deserves that. Like, every, like you deserve your day. Like I wish I could in, implant that in people's minds. You deserve your day. And then you can give from your overflow. So once you're filled up, you get what you got to get in the morning. Now you give from that overflow. And then everybody, I feel like, also gets the best of you because you've had time to kind of, you know, give back to yourself a little bit.
2: Wow. I love that. Yeah. It's definitely one of those take care of yourself in order Mm -hmm. to really be able to take care of others. I think that is so, so important. Um, So your morning routine consists of breath work, meditation, Mm -hmm. journaling. Um, What is it about that routine that you consistently do that and because I, I know you said it, it helps your day. Is mm-hmm. it? Is it the way that you feel? Is it clarity? What exactly does it do to help you kind of get off on get off on the right foot?
0: I don't know what it is. I'm learning new terms, new words like neuroepinephrine and the prefrontal cortex and all these. You know, look, I went to school for football and I studied economics, so like I'm not even going <laughs> to act like I truly understand these things. But I will say. I truly believe everything that we need is already inside of us, and I know you know I'm more so in the football community, and I've incorporated yoga into my life, but you're one hundred percent immersed in the yoga community in health and wellness and I know that there's this feeling of like we need to come back to the natural we need to we need to break away from a lot of these things that are attached to chemicals and preservatives and things like that because like really, if this whole thing with the hell and high water we still have to figure out a way to live and our ancestors knew how to live without all these things that we think we just need, you know, um, for our existence. And so for me, like, you know, am I going to go back into my backyard and grow all my food and farm animals? I don't think I'm there yet, but the least I can do is say, okay, let me go ahead and use the first thing God gave me is breath. Like that's how we know we're alive in the first place as children. It's the first thing we do and it's the last thing we do when we leave. So I'm going to get as much of that breath working as possible. When it comes to meditation, um, usually I'll just think I'll have a thought. I will have a word. Sometimes I'll breathe in good virtues and I'll breathe out bad ones. So sometimes like I'll breathe in faith. I'll breathe out, breathe out fear or breathe in love and breathe out hate. And I'll just c- continue that for the longest. And I'll begin to fill my mind, get to a better place um, to be who I need to be for people that day. Like, I I think my natural disposition, Katie, <clears throat> is I'm already like kind of like a happy person. Um, I, I'm not, I have no ill intent toward anybody. Like it, I could totally, and this is another thing too. We might get into social media topic later, but <laughs> I actually deactivated most of my social media accounts. And the reason why is because I do have opinions on things that I know may not like a large majority of people may not agree with. But anybody that doesn't agree with my opinion is not my enemy. Like, and so if I use my social media and make an opinion, now I don't want people to think I'm against them. And so I'm just like, I'd rather not have it at all. And if I meet somebody who may think differently than I do, we could disagree, but they will know that I still love them. It, my morning routine helps me get to conclusions like that. Because if I'm constantly in the matrix of looking at my phone and you know being on this rat race, trying to make money, trying to pay bills until I die, like that's not what I feel like God put us on this earth to do. I think He put us on here to connect, to love each other, um, and, and and to and honestly to use the resources that He's already put out here for us. I mean, we have everything we need inside and around us. So uh, my morning routine just really helps me tap back into um, the natural things that God's given us. And then when I go out into the world, I feel like I'm just more equipped to be who I need to be for people, but I'm doing it from a place of love and not like this, like obligation. Like I feel good enough to do it.
2: That's really powerful. And, you know, even in the practice of yoga or when you read like the ancient texts um, and the philosophy, one of the one of the things yoga teaches us is love, like to be able to act out of that, like, cause love is the highest, highest (laughs) vibration, highest vibration. Um, And so it sounds like, that's what that morning routine is giving you it's kind of tapping back into that high vibration and then allowing you to lead the rest of your day your interactions with others the choices that you make the decisions that you do even even by kind of unplugging off social media doing it with that intention of of love um is really really powerful um so you know what other in your personal life do you notice these skills or skill sets, um, you know, that meditation brings like the calming, you know, the breath work, the relaxation, the tapping into love and in a better mood, you know, when do you notice in your personal life that you've also used these skills?
0: Um, you know, I think number one, and people talk about this a lot, um, for married couples, they talk about how they'll stop dating each other, when kids come into the picture. And that's very, it's a very easy thing to do. Um I notice quickly how I am with my wife, whether or not, like, like if I get my morning routine, if I do the things like to um, put myself in a good frame of mind, I'm a lot more patient with her. I think we're just, we're able to work as a team a lot better. And she'll say the same thing. Like there was one time um where I called, and I was like freaking out about something, but I don't think I was freaking out, but on, this, on the phone, it definitely <laughs> probably sounded like I was. Um, and she answered my question. And then she texted me later. She was like, thank God you called me right after I finished journaling. Because if you would have called before I finished. And it's, I'm so serious. Like, I mean, Kate, think about this. How many times have you been in a room with people or around somebody who you could tell was like uptight and you were just like, Oh my gosh, this person needs some yoga right now. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, or like, or if you were like "Man, if I could get this group of people, if they did yoga the three times a week in the morning at 6am to start their day, what kind of person would they be by the end of the month? You know, and I've got a lot of things like that. Like I'm, I'm actually, um, this is small flex, but we're actually buying a, uh, a hyperbaric chamber. because I'm, I'm really big. Like I said, I'm really big into breathing. And so I'm like, how can I be get more optimal breathing? And if anybody listened to this podcast, if you've never heard of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, look it up. It's called HBOT for short. I'm telling you, it's one of the best things in the world. Like I said, it helps you tap back into the first thing you do when you enter this world. We probably breathe in about 20 to 30% of oxygen. And when you're doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy, you're getting 100% pure oxygen and you're getting compression. It helps with everything from inflammation, helps with opening neural pathways, helps on turning on the prefrontal cortex. Um, It's helped people... um, not have to get their legs amputated because it helps with blood flow to areas where people might have diabetic wounds, but it's also helped with depression, anxiety, it helps people get off pills, all sorts of stuff. So can't say enough good things about it. It was so good. I decided to pretty much spend, what you spend on a car on it to put it in my house? And so, but I'm so serious, Kate. like this is it. This is how you, this is truly who I am. When we were building this home, we, me and my wife just moved to Brentwood and she was like, well, what do you want in the house? I said, all I want is a gym area to put a hyperbaric chamber in. That's it. Because I know if I wake up in the morning and get in that and do an hour of breathing, I'm unstoppable. Like, I I not care if there's no chairs in the house. If I can, if I can go get some good oxygen, some good, breath, yeah. some good breath work, I'll be the husband I need to be. I'll be the father I need to be. I'll be the best employee. Like, you know, I'll be this person on the road. Somebody cuts me off. It does not matter. Like I can, I'll be able to do whatever I need to do. And so um, that's where I put a ton of my money into as far as this build. And so I should be getting that at some point this month. But I say all that to say, I look at something like that. And I know people who I can tell are just dealing with stress, dealing with depression, dealing with, and I'm like, Yes, there are some things that have happened to you externally, but there's also like real like chemical imbalances that can be rerouted just from either sweating, moving, breathing, and you'll be like, "Oh, I thought I was mad about that, but actually I, I'm really not that upset about it." You know, like there's now there's some real pain. Like that's that no amount of anything can help right in that moment, but there are some small things that we think we're upset about. And if people actually took the time to do some of these things we're talking about, they realized, wow, that was not even a big deal. Um, I think they have a healthy, a healthier, and happier lifestyle from it.
2: Yeah, I agree. And even before we started this podcast, you know, we took a couple of deep breaths and it does, it always helps to recenter and to reset, to ground. Yeah. Um, do you think now, is this kind of lifestyle- yeah prevalent in like football culture is this something that other athletes do is it something that you actually don't see enough of or uh i'm just really curious if this is something that that athletes or people that you know or teammates or people that you've worked with uh coaches even um you know make a priority of or practice
0: right so it 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 goes in 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 stages right so At first, I would say the first stage was, like, soft tissue. I think guys started getting hip to, like, massages. You'd hear about, oh, you know, Russell Wilson gets a massage three times a week, you know, just to make sure he's pushing out inflammation, all this stuff. Then I think you remember Tom came out with the TB12 method. So then Tom Mm -hmm. really, like, put it on front. you like, I've got this guy – I think his name's Eric Guerrero and he would, I mean, I was at the Pagers for a short while with Tom. With Tom, right when he'd come out the field, like Guerrero would already be massaging his throwing shoulder. Like it was like clockwork with him. So I think that was the first step, right? Outside the body. Now I think people are realizing that true health for the body is, is inside out, right? Mm -hmm. And so IV therapy has become a very big thing. Um, And um, it's so, like I had a guy um, who, a young guy who's a rookie, plays for um, the Giants. I met him last year, and I spoke to the rookies that I was training with, and I told them, I was like, guys, the best ability truly is availability. Like, if you can stay healthy for an entire year, your chance of having a bad year go down exponentially. But if you miss games, other guys are going to be getting looks, your anxiety is going to grow. Cause you're going to be like, Oh, other guys are getting ahead of me. Like if you can stay healthy, then you're going to set yourself up pretty good. But I told them you got to do health from the inside out. If you're properly hydrated, like through IV and I'm just like, not just saline fluid, I'm talking B12, B complex. I know I'm talking over people's heads, but you got to rewind it, get all this stuff, glutathione. Um, <laughs> This new thing called NAD, I mean, NAD is extraordinary what it does for for the mental health, um, inflammation, everything. Um, Magnesium. If you're getting that in your body at a premium twice a week, I mean, you're going to have an opportunity to go out and feel amazing. Like, I I think soft tissue injuries are like, you almost have a 0% chance of getting a soft tissue injury if you're properly hydrated. So think about what IV therapy can do for you. And then obviously, like I said, hyperbaric is something that we're talking about now with the oxygen inside out. When it comes to the community and if guys are actually getting hip to it, I think they're starting at a younger age getting into like... I need to probably figure out ways to take care of my body and stay healthy. Now, look, you still got these kids. They're eating Chick-fil-A three times a day. You know what I mean? Like, you still got these knuckleheads that want to just eat Sour Patch Kids <laughs> or whatever. But um, they're they're open to it. Their favorite athletes, LeBron James, Tom Brady, all these guys talk about recovery. Um, personal story again, uh, Brandon Ayuk. Um, I met him. He's the receiver for the 49ers rookie. And I met him in 2020, November, when the 49ers called me back, like I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And he had known me from Adam and Eve. But um, I I saw this kid, he was exceptional. Everything I saw about him watching games from at home on my couch, I'm like, dude, this kid is like an alien, how good he is. I still wouldn't leave with him if he asked me to go home. But (laughs) this dude's a Martian. This is how, like, Brandon Ayugas were my favorite football players. He was all broken up as a rookie. And I was like, dude, let me tell you something. If you just do these things, if you go look up a person, boom, 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 just like those spokes, I say, get you this person, this person, this person. And since I've been in California, I'm going to give you all these people's contacts. You hit them up. I promise you, you will feel great. And to this day, that's my guy. Like, he'll hit me up all the time. Like, bro, you got me right, man. You know, and I'm like, no, I'm just a small piece. Like, you're still a beast. So you got it. But, But you listened. And you decide to invest in your body and he's going to be, a uh, he's probably going to end up making, you know, $20 million a year playing receiver because he's been able to stay healthy and not miss games. So I think it's growing. Um, And I think guys are definitely getting more, um, more hip to health and wellness and recovery a lot earlier in their careers.
2: I know you and I have chatted previously about power of thoughts, how powerful our thoughts are, which is again, why, you know, we meditate. So has that infiltrated yet? Like the, I mean, I I would say more of like the meditation, the affirmation, the really sitting in the visualization, right? Is that something that you see often? Is that something that is practiced or is that still, working its way into that scene.
0: Yeah, you know, there there's definitely one thing that I think a lot of guys look to to help with their with their mind. I don't know if I want to say it on this podcast, but it's legal in California. Um <laughs> 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 we're talking about mindfulness. <laughs> so guys are aware you know let's just and it's holistic but um i i think the meditation piece i think guys are um yoga i think is the actually the first thing that started to um become attractive to football players and that's where getting their first sense of you know a little bit of shavasana Mm -hmm. a little bit of just sitting still gotcha. because these guys are active human beings and they're type a people you know they're they're not like to to get somebody you know with that much energy and testosterone to hey lay down for 20 minutes and breathe and for them to think that that's doing anything for them when they've been successful at football their whole career they're gonna be like man i, I can do without this give me something else you know um so that's going to take a little bit longer. I think a lot of that comes with growth. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, like, um, there are certain things that I felt rolled off of me as I just happened to get older. I remember when I used to get in the car and I would always turn on the radio or I'd always plug in my phone and listen to music. And what I realized was I, I didn't want my mind to get quiet. I needed noise. I needed volume to be up because I I had to feel like I was like doing something and was achieving something or I just, or, or it might've just been a fear of actually sitting with my thoughts for a while. You know, um, now when I get in the car, no music. I mean, I actually, I put on apps, like I like to drive in silence. And then if I have any noise, it's something informative, some type of podcast or, some type of interview, or maybe a news story that I'm interested in. Like, I just don't feel that need to turn up, turn up the volume in my life. I want it to be quiet. Right. And so you look, I love the NFL. I love my guys, but that is probably one of the downsides of that life. It's a fast lifestyle. You know, I mean, look, they, they, they say you know, fast cars, fast money, fast women. It's just the facts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when things are moving at that pace, like to do something, I mean, meditation is on the far other spectrum. It's not even like, like halfway would be, Hey, just actually just go sit out on the beach for a little bit and just chill out, you know, but to actually get into a room, turn off the lights, you know what I'm saying? Maybe light a candle and just lay up flat on the ground and breathe. That's on the far other spectrum of what football players are doing in their day to day. So I would love to see, um, you know, that community get to that point. Uh, Once again, I'm going to shout out hyperbaric. People need to listen to me and do it. But that's one of my favorite things about hyperbaric oxygen therapy is because once that chamber closes, you're in there, you're stuck. Mm -hmm. It's like being on a plane, right? Like when you're on a plane, do you really feel bad if you miss a phone call or you miss a text? No, you're on a plane like that. You you probably get some of your best sleep right. and your best work done when you're on a plane because your mind is actually able to be like, oh, nobody can get to me. It, meditating, you have to, you have to like cognitively go and say, yeah, my phone's right here, but I'm just not gonna let people get to me. That's very hard for people. With hyperbaric, you can't take your phone in. So it's like that pseudo plane vibe where I close the door I'm like, oh, well, can't can't be on my phone for the next hour and so I'm able to take that time to just breathe and really connect so it's it's it's, it's really important i would love to see the football community get there um i think it would help a ton of guys out especially post career
2: yeah it's you know it's a lot of sensory overload and i think it's not just in that community i think it's a I think it's really, really everywhere. If I had a penny for every single person that said that same thing to me that yeah. I just can't quiet my thoughts, I cannot sit still. I mean, Jordan, I would have, I'd be, have <laughs> <at> flexing <laughs> too, and I'd have a hyperbaric in my we'd house be, We'd
0: well. be doing this podcast on a spaceship if you had a penny for every time somebody probably said that. But
2: like, yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it's so tough because I work with a lot of clients yeah. also who, who say the same thing where it's. It's so hard to sit still, and you know they like to move and they like to flow. But during that shavasana, it's like, oh, that's the hard part. Or when I was teaching in studios, I would notice the same thing: people would be in the zone during movement, which is great. But sometimes people would leave right at shavasana. So I always say, like, you know, that's what's the hardest (laughs) pose? It's It's shavasana. Shavasana. Like nobody wants this. It's it's so difficult to be alone with our thoughts. But at the end of the day, you know, we are thoughts. That is who we are. So. It can be uncomfortable.
0: Somebody once said uh, the biggest fear isn't even, um, I think it was I think this author named Tim Keller. He said the biggest fear isn't death or public speaking, it's silence for a lot of people. So go ahead. I was just, you guys reminded me of that.
2: No, I mean, it's, and that, that's, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It is, it's, it's being comfortable with being with yourself, I yeah. think, also, mm-hmm. um, to be able to. So, so that hyperbaric chamber, it's, it's a lot of sensory deprivation too. It's like being in a sensory deprivation like float mm-hmm. tank where it is dark and you are by yourself and you're forced to be conscious with and listen to your breath. And at the end of the day, it's, yeah, it's great for the body, but you know, it's really good for the mind. Um, so what do you, I guess we know that it would be great if everybody did all these sure. things. Uh, what do you think it's going to take? for this type of practice to be more mainstream? Like, I guess, two, two-part two question. What do you think it's going to take for this mindfulness, meditation, breathwork to be more mainstream in sports? And then two, what do you think is the greatest challenge that most athletes are actually facing today?
0: Oh, wow. Um, so the first one, how does it become more mainstream? Um well, I can say how, I don't know when this will happen, but there's, there's like I said, I studied economics and I I say study loosely, but <laughs> I, I majored in it. Um, but one thing that truly hit me was the law of diminishing marginal returns. And it's too much of anything will end up being bad. Um, I've already reached that point with social media. Um, and... You're a content provider because it's a part of your job and it's a part of what you do to make money. Um, I don't particularly need it to make money. And I'm going to be honest, the vast majority of people on social media are not monetizing (laughs) in any way. And so that'll be the first thing. And athletes, what athletes don't realize is they have the luxury of having a team run their social media. Um, So you don't have to. you know, be the main person pushing out content. You don't have to be the main person going and finding the one picture from the game and posting it with the with a certain caption. Like, if, until people, come, like, I truly believe there's no real change until people come to the end of themselves in a certain area. Like, you gotta come to the end of that before you say, okay, like, I need to make a pivot somewhere. Um, and that's where I think this thing was really starting to kick off. Because as long as, the like i said that volume is high like that social media volume is high like i can't explain to you how much stuff i get done during the day now with my twitter and instagram deactivated like i just like if i'm i had got i'd literally downloaded an app called duolingo and I'm, I'm learning hebrew right now and so like in my spare time i'm looking at this bird and we're just crushing levels together you know i'm learning something in my spare time you know and he'll be like you got 20 points i'm like damn right you know like it's just you know like that's my bird now i don't even mess with the twitter bird anymore you know and so i think that's going to have to be kind of what has to happen you know and what was the second question again
2: yeah. So I guess, what do you think, in your opinion, That's the hardest thing. is like the greatest challenge uh, that a lot of athletes are kind of facing these days? Yeah,
0: um, I think uh, the the unrealistic pressure and by unrealistic, mm-hmm. I mean, like, is really is really not real. Like the people who truly like love you are going to like you regardless whether you catch the next pass or not. And um, a lot of, like, young athletes I meet now, I mean, they're just, they, they, they set themselves up. They Every time they do anything, they're blasting on their socials. They're always trying to, they, like, and I told people, like, the media, like, it, once you're done playing, like, whatever, every jersey I wore, I broke tons of records at Vanderbilt, and another kid still wore number 87 after I left. Like the game goes on. So the best thing you can do is create good relationships. I'll be honest. It's a very lucrative job. Make as much money as possible. And then like, you know, leave the game better than you found it. That's the best that you can do. I remember sitting in front of a group of kids, this one speech that I was given. And I said, does anybody here know who Chuck Noll is? And okay, let's do it again. Katie, you know, who Chuck Noll is.
2: I don't know who Chuck Noll is.
0: <laughs> okay, so it's okay, but um, if I said who was Bickram, you probably know. But basically, uh, yes. I, okay, so I said, who is Chuck Noll? And none of the kids knew who he was. I said, guys, he was the coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers that won four Super Bowls. He did four times what all of you guys hope to do once in your lifetime of this sport. And none of you guys know who he is. And Chuck knows dead, so you can't even go talk to him. So what I'm saying is, like, you retire twice, and we die twice. When you retire twice because you leave the game, and then they stop talking about you. And sadly, we also die twice, too, when you leave this earth and when they stop talking about you. the the freeing mm-hmm. The freeing part of that, though, is you can take a little bit of the pressure off. I do put a lot of pressure on myself to go out and succeed, provide for my family. But – I've gotten much better, especially with like I said, a lot of stuff I do for my morning routine with being able to surrender the work that I put in and say, hey, that was good work for the day. I can surrender that. Whatever comes my way, where it's an injury, whether it's being cut, where it's being promoted, I accept it, boom, and I keep going. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing is just managing the expectations. You know, I tell people all the time, like if you you wanna be if you want to be unhappy, like real quick, like start to put unrealistic expectations on a situation rather than just appreciating it and just going through it lovingly. I think you're going to end up happier in the long run. So I would say managing, managing the unrealistic expectations. And like I said, a lot of that goes back to just the constant content that social media brings. So, you know, people need to get away from their phones, long story short and um, get back to being around people. And I think we'd be a lot better
2: off. Do you think a lot of these kids are lacking mentors or influences in their life for somebody to tell them these kinds of things? Or is it just something like, yeah, they know they're just choosing not to do it.
0: No, I, there's just like, I there's too much. Like before when I was coming up, how many voices did you really hear? You heard your parents, you had an older sibling, you heard them and your coach, Maybe a few friends at school and a couple of teachers. You can count on five hands. I mean, uh um, mm-hmm. one hand, five fingers. Now, I mean, it's constant. I mean, the amount of just noise that these young that these kids hear, um, and they're all and look, we're all trying to seek truth, right? We all are. But I think at a fundamental level, Katie, when we were coming up, like the The core values of what was viewed as like uh, what you were kind of supposed to go do in this lifetime, I think was pretty much consistent. If I met you 15 years ago, let's say I'm 30 now, so we're 15, I could probably say, hey, Katie, let me guess what you want to do in the next couple of years. You probably want to go to college. You want to hopefully get a house. You want to get married and you want to be successful and i know you like dogs so you probably wanna have a pet and you'd be like check check, <laughs> check 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 and yeah maybe one variable would have been off and if you asked me the same thing i would say yep that's how we grew up and if you ask somebody in an older generation it would have probably be like somewhere along those same lines now mm-hmm. i mean if you ask a kid what they want it's like dude i want to be a purple bear slash unicorn on a app in the metaverse. It's like, holy cow, you know, I can't, which yeah. is cool. Like do what you want to do. But what I'm just saying is like, there's so much like noise for them. So I think it's hard for them to hear those real voices that care about mm. them because that's just the biggest thing. I have no problem. I'm not going to sit out here and demonize the internet that we're literally using to do this podcast on. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But I will say that the, the internet was not built to give you love. It it wasn't. Like, that's not, that's not, you should not go to this for that source. You should be, it was easier for us, I feel like, to locate the people in our lives that loved us mm-hmm. and they were the ones who really monopolized most of our time. It's easy for a young person now to have their time monopolized by some influencer on TikTok who does not care about them. Mm. Their sole purpose is to get clicks, views and to make more money. Like my mom's sole purpose in life, my dad's sole purpose in life was literally to love me and be there for me. I'm literally doing this podcast here. My wife just flew to Chicago to go join the Chicago Red Stars. Both my parents drove up to watch all my three sons just now. Like like Aww. this is life. This is like I didn't have to play professional football to enjoy this happiness. Right. Um, And so that's what I'd want. You know, I do think there are still people in these young people's lives. I just hope that their, their antennas are up and tuning into them.
2: I guess for you, who has been the most impactful or the biggest influence in your life or throughout your life?
0: I mean, the, the the easiest answers are obviously going to be people in my family, like my parents, um, you mm-hmm. know, my dad, for sure. My wife as well. Um, you know, my brother... <laughs> I guess I have stories about all uh, my, my brother. It was funny. So my brother, he didn't have the opportunity to play division one, division one sports, but he taught me crazy work ethic. He told this fun. He tells this joke all the time. I, I don't know why everybody asked my mom, like, you know, how tall was the milkman? but basically like I'm six, three and everybody else in my family is like under six foot. My dad might be six foot in shoes, but don't tell him that he he he's like, I'm six foot. I'm like, all right, then. <laughs> um, But my brother, my brother stopped at uh five ten but he did not make that stop him from being the best football player he could be this dude literally ordered a pull-up bar put it out in front of his room and every time he go in and out of his room he would do like 10 pull-ups because he wanted to beat the pull-up record at school he put up and it was like 28 and he did 30 and he like he just had a super competitive nature back when I was a very lazy kid um, and that inspired me. So he that meant a ton to me, just my brother pushing me in that way because I was like, that's what work looks like. Like you it, I don't care if you're a if you're blessed to be six foot ten, you're the tallest dude in the city, you know, you should still work like you're five two trying to make it to the NBA. Um, my dad's the type of man he is, like, you know, my wife, I kinda talked earlier about how she inspires me, you know, my mom, just her work ethic. You know, I've had people like that um all around in and around me for my whole life if i had to say somebody who is not in my family um like a random uh person yeah um like like fun i'm gonna ask you this next too. i i'm gonna start asking the questions i want because i want to know who yours is too that's not (laughs) family i okay I've loved this guy recently, and it's, it's a cliche answer now. I feel like I discovered him pretty early, though. But this guy named David Goggins, who was like this ultra marathon, former Marine, Navy, uh, former Navy SEAL. Uh, he was in, he's an Army Ranger. He's the only person to ever do Air Force tactical training, Army Ranger school, and Navy SEAL. He's done a ton of ultra marathons, but he used to be like 300 pounds, and he wrote like this best selling book. And, um, He's inspired me recently because one thing he said is like, you know, he's not really a theorist. Like he's not going to sit around and contemplate what human potential looks like. He's just going to go do it and find out. He's going to run 240 miles and see how much the human body can be pushed. You know, he's going to do all three, you know, levels of military training and see how far the body can actually go. So. um, I catch myself a lot of times when I'm trying to push through something. I'm like, there's a guy I know named David Goggins who's inspired. I know he's going hard. Like I can push to go a little harder. So that's somebody outside my family, but my my family obviously is probably number one in my life for that. Your turn.
2: That's really good. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you were ready for this.
2: So for me, I would say it's really tough. I, I feel like, and this may not be the answer that everybody wants to hear, but I feel like I'm not necessarily, I, I feel like I'm more of like the the rebel where it's like, I Mm. like to go against the Mm. grain and I am almost like the ah, de-influencer in a sense where I don't like to look for for people like. To influence yeah. me. It's so wild to say because everyone's like, you know, this person is, you know, the biggest influence. And in my head, I'm like, I think the biggest thing for me, and it, it hasn't, I've it, not, I haven't always been like this. But I really have been recently, and this is such a yoga cliche of me to, yoga teacher thing for me to say, but tapping into like my own intuition mm-hmm. and like who, who I am more than just like this, me as this physical okay. person or physical body, but like my higher self really. And how does that higher self like, you know, I guess influence the way that I come across as a human being? Right. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, you know, I, I, I admire so many different people. Like I admire, I admire athletes. I admire again, the, I admire anybody who is disciplined. I admire anybody who is firm in who they are and authentic in who they are as a person. I admire people who, you know, don't have to necessarily, you know, change to please everybody. And those are traits that I think I strive to or qualities that I strive to um to achieve, I guess. But it's so hard because I guess I'm not really necessarily, I don't have, isn't this weird? I don't have it's this a huge influence.
0: Your, your person is Katie Baki. That's who it is.
1: Not, I don't know if that's a good <laughs> thing or <a> bad <laughs> thing. I said
0: it. It's okay. <laughs> I said it. You don't gotta say it. That's cool. That that's next level. That's I mean seriously, like that's <laughs> That's what you're trying to say. Your your idea yeah. of who you know you can be, your highest self, is your biggest motivator, your biggest influencer to be better. Yeah. So that's that's cool. I'm cool with yeah. that.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit abstract, but it's you know it's what I think. It's what I. Feel.
0: It's, it's it's very it's very deep. It's very it's going to be too deep for some yeah. listeners, but it's okay. We can walk them through it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I have one more question okay. though because I do remember. You you have great great uh, a read list, yep. and I remember you recommended As a Man Thinketh. Love that book. Love the mindset because I listen to Neville Goddard. I listen to a lot of people who are um, thought. Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? They're thought mm-hmm. leaders, I guess. And so we talk a lot, you and I, we've talked a lot about power of thought, mm-hmm. right? And how thoughts really, really influence things. And we can manifest things through thoughts and just really the power in them. Are there any other good books that you recommend um, that you think people may yeah.
0: enjoy? I enjoy. Okay. So I've got, what's funny is I'm in my library right now. So I'm looking at a couple Um because I have a shelf of some of my favorites. So, um, like I said, As a Man Thinketh was one of them. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you're looking for something financial, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, great book. Amazing, amazing book. Robert Kiyosaki. Um, One of my favorite books by Gary Chapman. All right, like I said, kind of cliche. Somebody's going to think I'm soft for this. It's one of my favorite books, the The Five Love Languages. But...
2: It's such a cancer thing I to know, say. I know it's such a
0: cancer thing to say, but le- <laughs> but legit, like I actually saw, I randomly saw Gary Chapman um, on this interview I was watching um, on television once, and he was talking about the book still. And in my mind, I was like, what an amazing gift to society. Like I, I think about this, like pe- like putting a dent kind of in the universe. Because I said like you know, we retire twice, we die twice, and so what do you leave here? And if, it, if at the least you can leave something to your family, that's huge. But the five love languages, like what? I was like, what spiritual, mental, mind, body, and spirit alignment was he in? Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Yep. You, you, I've tried for years to think of a sixth, and it still is encapsulated in these five. And I'm just like, and I know that Gary Chapman is a man of faith too. So I'm just like, You know, what an amazing book to leave to people because everybody's like, oh, well, let me learn my love language. But the best thing is you can give this to your partner, have them read it, take the quiz, and you can know their love language and you will never miss on how to love them properly. Like that's like a cheat code in relationships. You know what I'm saying? Because like if for me, 100%, words of affirmation, and uh, physical touch. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's funny. Like the acts of service thing, all these guys always talk about like, you know, what they wish their wife would do. I, I, like I said, I've never been like that. I, I actually told Shayna because I knew she was going to be an amazing mom. Her mom's a great mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a world-class athlete. I'm like, if you have to do anything for me, when you're already having to take care of three kids and try and be the best athlete you can be, you're going to go crazy. You're going to be cooking for me. And by month, what's the month? It's March right now by March, I'm going yeah. to come home one day and food's not going to rain. I'm like, Hey, why's the food not ready? And You're going to snap. You're going to be like, why's the food not ready? Why is the food <laughs> not ready? Okay. And I'm like, I don't want that day. Okay. I'm not prepared for that day. So I said, Shayna, check this out. I'm gonna get us a chef. They're gonna prepare the food, they're gonna bring it to the house. Like, I like acts of service. I actually would prefer that Shayna has to do nothing like on the physical for me. So the things that she does do for me are not out of obligation, it's truly out of love. And then when I get home, all I need is little words of affirmation, a little touch on the shoulder, and I'm good. I'm I'm good. Um, But I know hers. Are like acts of service, quality time, and receiving gifts. You know, she doesn't need you to tell her how pretty she is all the time. She actually can't mm-hmm. stand PDA. But if I'm at the house and I'm doing quality time, but I'm working, I'm taking out the trash and washing dishes and doing all that stuff. She's just like, "Yep, that's that's my guy." So, um, this book, I can't say enough good things about this book. The other one, and I think we talked about this. So we talked money, finance. We've talked relationships. I want to talk uh, uh, race relations. The autobiography mm-hmm. of Malcolm X is an amazing, amazing yes. book. And I know a lot of people, especially once 2020 hit, the whole George Floyd thing happened. Like racial tension has kind of been very high um, in America for a while. And I've had the luxury of growing up in, you know, the heart of Alabama where most people, they always make jokes like, how are you alive? I'm like, dude, it's not like that, okay? Like, trust me, it's it's fine. Um, But I grew up in the, you know, in a very, what most people would consider all white, conservative, you know, Christian, Republican, whatever area. But I've been to living in Nashville and went to a school like Vanderbilt, which definitely is more of a progressive liberal. I've lived in California. I've lived everywhere. Um, And what I Mm -hmm. still found is that it's hard to ever get a black person's true view on something because it's like, okay, if I tell you, then I may come off as angry. And that's something that um, I think people within my culture have kind of struggled with, like not wanting to come off that way. You'll hear the term code switching, like we'll switch up when we get around other cultures because we feel like we want to try and fit in to progress. Malcolm X was not like that. There's going to be things that he says in his book that may rub people the wrong way, may be hard to hear, and that people may agree with and they can 100% agree with him. But What I love about the book is there's is an unapologetic black guy speaking. And that's cool to me. I, like, I want to know what people think. I think all the time. Like, I will take the person who is telling me the truth that i cannot stand their opinion i'd rather be with them than the person who i think is kind of playing me or the person who like i think i know what they're talking but like i want the 100% unadulterated truth and that's Malcolm X's book and a lot of people i think have misconceptions about um kind of Malcolm's viewpoint he came from a, a place of pain and a lot of his rhetoric, you know? And when people juxtapose that to Martin Luther King, I think they say, okay, well, he was the bad guy. He was the bad guy and Martin was the good guy because he was the one who propped up nonviolence. But a lot of people don't know that there was a quote that Martin Luther King Jr. said late in his career when he started doing the Poor People's Act. And the Poor People's Movement was basically this movement. Now, instead of integration, it was now black ownership. See, integration is one thing. It's one thing to integrate into a society that you're at the bottom of economically. Like, yes, some people may not like that, but it's kind of like, okay, well, you don't own anything. When you start talking about ownership, now there's some friction within that society you may be integrating in. Once Martin Luther King Jr. started talking about that, you can go look up this quote. Anybody can feel free to do so. He, he was quoted as saying, I feel like I've integrated my people into a burning house. And so what he meant was, I'm afraid that through the process that we took to integrate, we integrated at the lowest level of society. I'll make this picture easier for you. Think about like Jackie Robinson, an amazing player, amazing American hero, um, rightfully should be heralded. He helped integrate baseball, everything. But Jackie Robinson integrated into the Major League Baseball at the lowest level of the employment, the player. We, the Negro League was fully functioning. When Jackie Robinson came over, if they would have been able to negotiate Black ownership into the MLB, you wouldn't have this problem where there's no Black ownership anymore, like anywhere in these major sports. The Negro League, and like I said, I'm saying all this in hindsight. I don't want to judge what these men went through. These men went through and why they made their decisions. I truly believe they felt like it was the best decision for them to make at that time. But Malcolm X's book will show you that he was speaking very forward. He was like, look, if we keep integrating at the lowest level of society, the greater white America may love us and they may start to accept us and appreciate us, but you don't own anything. And so that's why now when you look at the racial wealth gap, the average white family makes around like, I think like 80, 90,000 average black family is like at 17,000. Why is that? If I drove through, I live in Brentwood, Tennessee right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody that lives in these houses in Brentwood, Tennessee, didn't just buy this house this year. A lot of these houses have been passed down and compound interest has been built upon and built upon relationships built upon, built upon. Well, if through segregation, redlining, so then you integrate, but then you've got redlining of communities, so you can't actually move into a certain community if you were of a certain race. Um, you've got the Civil Rights Movement, you've got Black Wall Street being burned down. That's some other just things that, you know, Black people went through during those movements. You look up and now it's 2023 and Black people don't own anything. And we we own we don't own enough businesses we don't we're not we don't own any sports teams that we dominate at the player level and it's because we integrated at the lowest level of society in 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 a sense what malcolm was saying was instead of like integration he said for a while he felt there need to be this level of separation he felt like black people need to build themselves up to a point to where the greater you could say White America would begin to look at them and say, Oh, we see what they're building over here. Let's collaborate with them. Let's now I respect what you're doing over here. Let's start to build together. Instead of, hey, please love me. Please love me. You come over, you integrate, and they're like, we love you, but now economically you're screwed. And I've already said, I've always I'll always say this to people you cannot legislate love. I don't care how many acts they pass, I don't care how many you know, laws and bills they write, you will never legislate love. You will never write enough bills to make people not feel a certain type of way about other people. So I've never felt like that was ever the, the right solution. The right solution was kind of a mix. It was a level of integration and collaboration, but it was also incentivizing us in the Black community to continue to build up our own industry so that at some point, there was this merging, you come in at a little bit of a higher level in society where there can be more ownership. That is a principle that uh, Malcolm X was kind of preaching. And if you get his book, there's some stuff that may offend you, but you will get to those parts and you'll be like, wow, I guess this is what, behind closed doors, a lot of Black people think, and it'll help you understand us as a people a little bit better, um, But it's just a great book. So Malcolm X, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Five Love Languages. He said, As a Man Thinketh. If I had to say one more book that I won't talk about for a long time, I'll say The Four Agreements. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Huge. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. That's it. I won't tarry on that one. That's self-explanatory. Amazing book. Don Miguel Ruiz, what an amazing gift to society. So, and obviously I love, I read the Bible every morning. So that's probably my top book.
2: So there you have it guys. A a, a huge list of, of really, really good books to read. Um, Jordan, I am just, I'm so glad that you were on today just because it's going deeper than just like the physical, right? When we think of like athletes, a lot of times we think of yoga, we think of a lot of the physical, but to be able to give everybody a sense of who you are mindset wise, your beliefs, your attitude, um, and your values to get to know you as a person. I really, really thank you for being here with me today. Um, I want to thank all of you guys also for listening. I hope that some of these conversations that we had, um, we're also impactful for you as well so that's all that we have for you guys today i will catch you all on the mat mondays and fridays on glow bye
1: peace thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at glow i'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider at Red Cub Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find The Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.